mighty works for your children. Amen. You may be seated. Before I offer the scripture for this day, I want to take a moment to thank Nanette Farina, who put together our beautiful Thanksgiving cornucopia for us. And what a joy it is to have that in this time of the joy of beauty. May God's love abound. This morning's reading is from Paul's letter to the church in Colossia. Paul wrote, put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on compassion, kindness, meekness, patience, Forgiving one another, for just as God has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And be thankful. This ends our reading from Paul's letter to the Colossians. And may these words, which once inspired the early church's hearts, inspire our hearts as well. So today is my annual Thanksgiving alphabet. I think, this, since this is my beginning of my 25th year as senior pastor, this is the 25th year I've offered a Thanksgiving alphabet. I never, ever thought it was going to last this long. But if you haven't been here in years past, then the Thanksgiving alphabet works this way. Over the years, I've chosen a word either related to Thanksgiving or to the rhythm and pattern of our church or a theme in the life of our church in the past year and use the letters in that word to list things for which I am grateful. This year, my word is welcome. And as many of you know, we have been in discernment about what it means to be a hospitable, inclusive, and welcoming congregation. But I never, ever offer this Thanksgiving alphabet simply so that you know things for which I am grateful but I hope it is a catalyst, maybe a spark to the kindling of your hearts to list the things for which you are grateful. I hope that you will go home and by yourself, with a friend and a family member, spell welcome for yourself. But almost every year I also add that one of the reasons why I offer this sermon is because it has always reminded me of what the Reverend Paul Stifler taught me, which is that Meister Eckhart, a 15th century mystic, once wrote that if the only prayer you ever say is thank you, that will suffice with God. So this is how I spell welcome in 2022. W stands for the World Cup. I love the World Cup. It kicks off this afternoon, tomorrow, I have a feeling I'm going to come down with a cold about 12.50 p.m. because the United States plays Wales at 1 o'clock tomorrow afternoon. But I love the World Cup, and I do for a number of reasons. But demographers tell us that just a few months ago, the Earth's population passed 8 billion people. But I want to put that in perspective about how broadly the World Cup reaches the world. There are only 32 national teams in the World Cup, but of the 150 or so nations around the world, every single one of them will be attuned some way or another, TV or radio, to the World Cup. And the astronomical piece, astonishing to me, is that between three and three and a half billion people will listen to or watch the World Cup. Close to half 
of the world. I mean, there's nothing else that brings people together like the World Cup. Now, like many of you, I grew up playing basketball and football and baseball. I never played soccer, but I will tell you, soccer has grown to be my favorite sport by far to watch. And I think it has a lot to teach us. I know people say, oh, it's so boring. They kick the ball back to the goalie and the team spread out. I want you to think about it like this. When the ball goes back, I hope you'll watch the World Cup. When the ball is played back, it's sort of like going into the huddle. They're strategizing. The difference is the ball's still alive and the other team can steal it while you're trying to reset your game. But what soccer also teaches us is this, is that before you could sometimes have to go forward towards your goal, you actually have to take a couple of steps back, regroup, and then start forward again. I love the World Cup. I'm delighted it's underway this afternoon. And yes, I think at one o'clock tomorrow, I'll probably have a cold for about an hour and a half, but I'll be back after that. So E, so it stands for Ed Manthai. Now you may or may not know this, but the chapel in the other building is the Manthai Chapel. Ed Manthai was the senior pastor of this congregation from about 1940 to about 1960. My predecessor, Bob Kemper, was here for 25 years before me, but Bob Kemper, was a student intern here in Western Springs in the late 1950s, full-time for a year, and he was mentored by Ed Manthai. Ed Manthai taught Bob Kemper some things that Bob Kemper then mentored me with. One of which is, um, kind of a silly thing, is that Ed Manthai told Bob Kemper, and then Bob told me when I was a young minister, when you go to the Women's Society lunches, eat lunch before you go, because they have very modest lady-sized lunches. <laughs> Well, for some reason or another, that got around to our Women's Society. And for the first 10 years that I was here, and I'm not kidding you, they would serve everyone else the regular modest-sized servings, and I would get a quadruple size. That would, if food would be to the edges of the plate. But they also taught me some things that were really significant. And I think Ed Manthai said this to Bob Kemper and wrote him a letter when Bob started as senior minister, and Bob wrote me a letter that I was handed after I had been elected to become the next senior minister. And in the letter, Bob said the congregation just did something which was really important and significant. It will be good for them, it will be good for you. And then he added, but Rich, you are not up for the job. You are not up to this job. No one is, he added. I wasn't, Ken Syme wasn't, Edmant I wasn't, but this congregation is so remarkable, so wonderful, that they and the Spirit together will lift you. But no one is up for this job, but the congregation is up for its next senior pastor. It was really a remarkable gift and reminder of what a blessing it is to be in partnership in this congregation with you. So, W-E-L, I am always so glad when my word has L. I've used this one several times before, um, but I, I, I love it, it's easy. L stands for God, of course it does, right? Because the simplest, but maybe the most profound way to spell God is L-O-V-E. So I'm grateful for love and the glimpses of God that it provides and the reminder of the preciousness of God's gift of life. So L 
stands for God. C. C is an, an ancient word, biblical word. We try to lift it up here regularly as possible, but it stands for covenant. Now, covenant's not a contract. A covenant is an agreement made between people and before or with God. Marriage is a covenant. The promise to walk together through life for richer, for poorer, in joy or in sorrow, whatever the tomorrow or the tomorrow or the tomorrow after that will bring. I mean, marriage is a covenant of stick-to-itiveness, perseverance. Um, baptism, when we have baptisms right here, is a covenant. Parents made with the congregation and before God, the congregation promises to help raise that child in a community of faith. The parents promise to do so as well. Being a member of the church, when you join the church, we make a covenant. Each one of us who is a member of this congregation said at one time or another, we take this church to be our church, promising so far as in us lies to share its work, sustain its worship, love its members, seek its unity, purity, and increase. And then everyone at a new member Sunday stands and reads together the Salem Church Covenant, written about 1629. It was written by a community that was trying to figure out how they were going to be in this strange and foreign land and how they would support one another and live together. And they came up with a very profound and simple one sentence. And they wrote, we covenant with the Lord and one with another and do bind ourselves in the presence of God to walk together in all God's ways. I mean, that's beautiful. It's never lived perfectly, just like all of those covenants I mentioned are never perfectly lived. But what a gift to have the concept of covenant, agreements made between people before God. W-E-L-C. Oh, yes, thank you. It does relate to the theme of inclusion and hospitality that we've been in discernment this year. O stands for open hearts, open minds, and open doors. I'm grateful for all of those. I think open minds, open hearts, and open doors also lead to what is our church's motto. We are diverse in thought, but united in Christ. So I'm grateful for the conversations that we had in this past year, not all of which were easy, not all of which um, went the way people may have wanted those individual conversations to go. But this congregation showed open hearts, open minds, and I hope our congregation will always have open doors to all who will wish to walk in faith. M. M might sound like a strange one, but it does sort of relate to the idea of covenant as well. But M stands for something which is 402 years old this year. It's called the Mayflower Compact. You may have heard of it, you may not have heard of it, but many scholars consider the Mayflower Compact to be the first attempt by, since antiquity for people to write a constitution as to how to govern themselves. Self-government, in the European sort of philosophical tradition um, from which the Puritans and pilgrims came, self-government was considered improbable, if not impossible, for well, basically for the idea of us to govern ourselves. And one of the things that we do know, of course, about the Puritans and pilgrims is that though they wrote these lofty words, they didn't always live into them. They were terribly intolerant of other religions. 
and their treatment of the indigenous peoples was horrific. But one of the things that they left us, and it eventually served as a foundation to the United States Constitution, is that we can dream of being better than how we actually are. I mean, in some respects, that's what democracy is. is it is a vision of living into something that we will never perfectly live into. So I'm really then grateful for that kind of vision, but it also reminds me of, of a quote from probably the most important Christian ethicist of the 20th century, Reinhold Niebuhr. And he wrote this about democracy. And he said, it is the human capacity for justice, the human capacity for justice that makes democracy possible. And it's the human capacity for injustice that makes democracy necessary. He understood that we will never live perfectly into our dreams, but that should never mean that we shouldn't dream of being more than we are. So I'm grateful for the Mayflower Compact, the first constitution since antiquity that attempt to, attempted to describe self-government. C-O-M-E, oh, the last letter. This is one that I have used once, maybe about 10 years ago, but you'll understand why I'm using it again this morning. E stands for English teachers, but in particular, it stands for my senior year in high school teacher, Mr. Eldo Mungai. Now, Mr. Mungai um, was a great teacher. He was, um, he acted out, you know, English literature almost, and it was a survey course from Beowulf to W. Somerset Moms of human bondage and everything in between. But Mr. Mungai went the second mile with me in that he said to me in the fall, he said, Mr. Kircher, you seem to enjoy literature. You seem to have a good mind for it. But, and then he paused and he tried to say, and he says, your writing, he said, is lackadaisical. And so he encouraged me, and much to my annoyance, to come in for Tuesday, at Tuesday mornings for a month or two at 7 a.m. before school, and he went line by line through my essays to improve my writing. I mean, what a gift, right? What a gift to me. It was an extra burden to Mr. Mungai, but Mr. Mungai in our English literature class also assigned us um, a poem to memorize. Mine was John Keats' poem, which is, When I Have Fears. The first line is, when I have fears that I may cease to be before my pen has gleaned my teeming brain. Keats goes on to worry about dying young before he had written everything he wished to have written. And Keats does die young in his 20s. John Keats wrote his own epitaph for his grave, which said, here lies one whose name was writ in water written water. You know what that's like. You've taken a stick and written your name in water and you saw it for a moment and then it's gone. Keats thought that with the last breath that he took on earth that his poetry would disappear as as it would evaporate as quickly. And of course it hasn't. John Keats is still considered one of the great poets of the early 19th century. Yesterday, I went to Mr. Mungai's memorial service. He was 92 years old. I was at Grace Lutheran in LaGrange. There were a couple of hundred people, and as I looked around, I realized they were all young folk like me. <laughs> About 
10 years older to 10 years younger. And I asked afterwards, I, most of whom I didn't know, I said, former student? Yep, former student. Dozens, maybe a couple, there were a couple of hundred people there, but dozens and dozens of former students of Mr. Mungai's to remember and celebrate his life. And I thought to John Keats, and I thought, here lies one whose name is written on hundreds of hearts forever. What a gift to have someone who touches your life. So I'm grateful for any of the teachers in your lives who have helped shape you as well. That is how I spell welcome in 2022. Again, I didn't simply spell it for you to understand for those things or people of which I am grateful. But perhaps it will be a catalyst for your own gratitude list. And remembering the words of Meister Eckhart, the only prayer you ever say is thank you, that will suffice with God. May it be so.